2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to help you not lose money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Some companies, they have to play by the rules. Others just don't. The trick is knowing which is which. That's what this market has devolved into, a two-track affair that's bounded by highly subjective judgments about earnings. And it's all colored by an epidemic in China that's going global. With the Dow backsliding 128 points today, S&P shedding 0.16%, and the Nasdaq dipping 0.14%. Why don't we start with the coronavirus, which is what drove the market down today? Regular viewers know that I've been a harsh critic of the way China does business. The People's Republic is an authoritarian dictatorship, and dictatorships don't need to answer to anyone, which means they can lie with impunity. So when the Communist Party puts out positive, albeit false, coronavirus numbers, big deal. Sure, somebody's head will roll if they get caught, and it looks like that's happening to some of the hapless party hacks who ran the government there at the heart of the outbreak. But the reliability of these numbers was always highly questionable. I've told you again and again, you need to take official statistics from authoritarian regimes with a grain of salt, or in this case, a pillar. Yet Wall Street, in all its infinite wisdom, has been trading off these numbers like they're gospel. Traders buy the S&P 500 when the infection number's slow. Then they sell when those numbers go back up. Last night, they went up big because the Chinese government started using a new diagnostic standard. Though the the figures, they're, they're probably still inaccurate. I say betting on official statistics for the People's Republic of China. I think that that is a fool's game, and here's where you will land the House of Pain. Yesterday we thought the outbreak was under control because the data looked good. Today we think it's out of control, not under control. Come here quickly, that it can't be contained that it's every man and woman for themselves. Look, I have no illusions. Like many others, I've tried to figure out which experts in medical journals are authoritative, which ones to trust. Now, some of the smartest minds out there uh, are saying right now that it is too late to stop this virus. It's going to be a worldwide pandemic. Millions will end up getting sick. Many will die. They make these dire predictions because the disease is more infectious than we thought initially, and the incubation period might actually be longer than 14 days. Some say it may, might be as long as 24 days. Plus, the virus keeps mutating, which makes it very difficult to come up with a cure. Of course, there's another camp that says the coronavirus will burn itself out come April when the weather heats up. That it will soon peak out, and your chances of catching it in America are minuscule. Where do I come down on this? If you're worried about your health, I wish I could help you. All I can say is wash your hands, keep them at your side, get masks and surgical gloves. Whatever you do, don't get on a cruise or travel to East Asia. That's what I bought, the, the gloves and the uh, mask, because I want to be ready for anything. Now, we have fire extinguishers and chain ladders and baseball bats in every bedroom to put out fire, escape one, or beat the crap out of the bad guys. Am I a little bit paranoid with the mask and the gloves? I don't know. Too soon to tell. The key here, though, is that everybody's assessment of this thing is subjective. That's the important word. Subjective. The numbers are subjective. The articles are subjective. The forecasts are subjective. Even questions that should have an objective answer, like the disease's incubation period or the lethality, have become subjective because the Chinese have stonewalled or whitewashed, making it impossible to get a clear view of the situation. You know what else is subjective? Stocks in the time of Corona. And when I say subjective, I mean a lot more subjective than usual. In this market, as unfair as it is to some managers and CEOs, many stocks are bound by valuation parameters, but there are a handful that aren't. Yes, most stocks are still traditionally valued. They're the market's plebeians. This morning, Goldman Sachs upgraded Caterpillar, for instance, arguing that machinery inventories are pretty low and production cuts will boost earnings down the road. To me, this this was a very dicey upgrade because CAD has to play by the rules of traditional valuations. Maybe it can grow a little faster, but obviously it's bound by its end markets, and most of its uh, most important end market, it's China. Well, that, what's the demand from China right now? So I think you need to sell Caterpillar, sell, 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 into the strength from Goldman's recommendation, which is exactly what we saw today. I simply don't believe it can make the numbers, and therefore the stock will falter, no matter where it is, no matter when it occurs. <sighs> On the other hand, this market has aristocrats that don't play by the same set of rules. Take Tesla. Here's a company that announced plans to sell $2 billion worth of stock. And almost immediately, there are people using traditional metrics who are up in arms. The Tesla dictator, Elon Musk, yeah, he's a dictator too, told us he didn't need to raise capital when the company reported two weeks ago when the stock was much lower. Whoa, how outrageous. I said to myself, these people are delusional. Tesla's not like Caterpillar. Its valuation is a lot more subjective which is how it could actually rally nearly 5% on this news, on the news that it's selling more stock, because Elon Musk needs more capital to meet demand. When you think of it like that, this is terrific news. So many people want Teslas that they need $2 billion to boost their production capacity. That is what I call a high-quality problem. Remember, for months I've been saying Tesla could raise $2 billion at the drop of a hat. Hey, I was right. The stock can keep rallying because unlike Caterpillar, there's strong demand for the product around the world. You can apply the same lens to earnings. Cisco told us last quarter that demand in the enterprise their are with is challenged. They said the same thing when they reported last night, and the stock got clipped. It was down more than 5% today. Hey, you know what? You know I like Cisco, but that makes sense. Cisco's a commoner, not an aristocrat. It's governed by objective metrics, and right now those metrics, well, they seemingly aren't that good conscious that was something like Shopify or Ring Central, which we'll hear from later tonight. Both of these companies are high-growth monsters, and that's all you need to know. I'm not kidding. The demand for their services is off the charts. So they report spectacular growth numbers, and their stocks keep flying. You don't even need to know where their stocks were trading. They go up no matter what. No matter how much they were already up ahead of time, they keep going up. They aren't even bound by gravity. This is highly unusual behavior, people, because in the old days, there were only two stocks that were like that, Amazon and Netflix. Those were the only ones. Now, though, because growth is at such a premium, thanks to the coronavirus-induced slowdown in China, many more of these momentum stocks are breaking free from the four walls of the spreadsheet canvas. There's tremendous demand for financial technology, too. Those stocks go up no matter what day after day after day. There's little demand for just another bank, though, so those go nowhere. There's massive accelerating demand for all things cloud, so those go up and up and up. There's declining demand for oil and gas, so those stocks untouchable. I'm going to say that to you many times, many times, until every time we have strength, you do selling. Now, many investors hate what I just described. They hate it when stocks are valued subjectively, especially people who've been around forever. They like to be calculating ratios, examining discounted cash flows, tracing dividend trajectories, thinking about the E, thinking about the M, thinking about the P, price-earnings multiple, pondering the correct earnings models. They don't want to look at, at price-to-sales multiples. They like price-to-earnings. They don't want to look at enterprise multiples. They like to look at companies as they are. They don't like unbridled momentum. These traditionalists, they fear buying high and selling higher. They think it's a money losing strategy, to which I say, not right now it isn't. The bottom line is that amazingly and yes, counterintuitively, buy high and sell higher is working here. Buying high and not selling is the best. Oh, it's nutty. It's a virtuous circle with subjective assessments of the coronavirus fueling these subjective growth stock valuations. I bet it keeps going. Until the outbreak runs its course, I need to go to Steve in California. Steve,
1: booyah, Jim. This booyah. is Steve from Costa Mesa, California. I'm calling about El Dorado Resorts. I've been following the casino stocks, and most of these stocks have been down due to the coronavirus. El Dorado Resorts has no exposure to Macau, and they have their pending merger with Caesars coming up. So Jim, do you think Eldorado Resorts is a good bet? Thanks.
2: No, I think it's too high. What's happening is is the people are buying the domestic uh, gambling stocks and no one of the international because the international have exposure to Macau, which is obviously next to China. The one that I like is Penn National. And the one I like and the reason I like it is because of the hookup with Barstool, but that stock's gotten too hot, too. Let's go to Jonah in Georgia. Jonah. Hey Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. Of course, Jonah, great to have you on the show. What's up? Uh, I have a question on Peloton. Uh, Can it recover from this drop it just had? Uh, I actually think it can. Peloton is what's called a heavily shorted stock. There's a natural base of people who have to buy it on any good news. When we get good news, the stock will fly. I think this quarter is still a good quarter. I don't want to own it longer term because the stock's up a gigantic amount. But I think you're fine right now. Not great. I'm not crazy about it. But I'm not going to tell you you got to sell the stock. Okay, listen, we're in a subjective market, and I bet it keeps going subjectively until the coronavirus outbreak runs its course. Well, man, tonight you've heard the phrase slow and steady wins the race. I'll tell you how it pertains to this earnings season. Then Mark Butler, the beloved CEO of Ollie's, passed away unexpectedly not that long ago. With uncertainty in the stock, what should your next move be? I'm giving my take. And if you like it, should you put a ring on it with Ring Central up over 15% just in the past week alone? I'm asking the CEO if it's time to still consider the stock. So stay with Kramer.
3: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag madTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com.
2: not easy to be an old-school stock picker these days. We're being driven crazy, tortured by the new school. The school of no consequences and no repercussions. The school of earnings reportage. What do I mean by old school? Okay, take PepsiCo which reported this Friday morning. Here's a storied company that I've studied for years and years through all sorts of iterations. I remember when it accumulated restaurants in the 90s, and I loved it. What, what, what a natural way to sell Pepsi instead of Coke at its own stores. Stores like Taco Bell, KFC, Pizza They were all in their growth phase. They were young. They were new. They were crisscrossing the country. Brilliant! Then I remember when they spun the restaurants off because who needed those three restaurant companies, Tricon or Yum or whatever they called it? All the restaurants were topping out. Who cares where Pepsi sold? Irrelevant. I recall 20 years ago when PepsiCo bought Quaker so it could own the sports drink business via the fabulous Gatorade franchise. Huge win, immediate growth, replacing the sagging restaurant group revenues. I remember tussling with the company more than a decade ago when nobody ate the Fritos at an overnight party I threw for my daughter and her swim team, the Hilltoppers, from Summit High. I said, maybe, just maybe, the company's Frito-Lay division was dead. (gasps) <gasps> management scolded me. They told me to go do some homework and see what they were doing in good-for-you snacks at their Aberdeen, Maryland, Proving Ground plant. A plant, by the way, that was closed-loop. Before I even knew what that was, they used the water from the potato chips to be able to power... <sighs> PepsiCo conquered. I struggled to learn about sustainability from their brilliant former CEO, Injun Nui. I-, I didn't know why it mattered. Impact per share? I only knew earnings per share. She was years ahead of her time. Now, everyone cares about sustainability. They're still learning from her, even as she retired in 2018. Every time I have written PepsiCo off, it has reinvented itself. (laughs) Bought something, spun something off, created something, divested something, boosted something, slimmed something. And almost every time they've been dead right. And that's what makes for a great long term investment. Yes, vibrant. Yes, creative. Sure, you can nitpick about the growth of Frito-Lay or the market share of carbonated, but taken in its totality, PepsiCo delivers time and again. I mention all this because every bit of that institutional knowledge that I've earned is now meaningless in the face of the instant analysis stories that appear as soon as the quarterly earnings report is released at 6 a.m., the company gave you a typically strong quarter today, yet within seconds I read a half dozen articles about how PEP missed its projections, failed to meet the street's numbers. Some stories made it sound like they reported a disastrous quarter. Others made it sound like Coca-Cola is killing them. So others portrayed Pep as a wayward loser because Frito-Lay was half a percent light. All garbage, people. But that's how robots and cub reporters write so they can be the first in the PepsiCo news queue. They're new school, which is another way of saying they're unseasoned bunch of jokers. But I'm Jimmy Chill, so I don't say those things. I stick to my old school guns. I talk to the CFO. I read through the conference call. I huddle with my ActionAlertsPlus.com team. I look over the historical numbers of how the company's done on each line and then historically how the stocks reacted each time I do seasonality. You know what? Lo and behold, this was a business-as-usual quarter for PepsiCo. Another solid set of results well done. And that's how I knew nothing was wrong with the stock. But my rigorous methodology makes me a dinosaur these days versus the faster-moving headline writers, those children. And you know what? Maybe that's okay. Maybe the logical heir to the dinosaur is the tortoise. And those dimwit aided reporters are the hare. We know who wins the race in the end because, alas, after spending almost the entire day down and sometimes down really bad, guess what? The stock finished the session up, up 39 cents. Tortoise won. Air nothing. It's
4: Chris.
1: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
2: Earlier this week, we got a call from UP in North Carolina, who wanted to know about Ollie's Bargain Outlet Holdings. Remember those guys? That's off-price chain that used to be, well, let's say, one of my absolute favorite retailers. What changed? Well, the bull thesis was tragically interrupted on December 1st, when Ollie's brilliant founder and CEO, Mark Butler, frequent guest of the show, died suddenly of natural causes. I love that guy. Now, the stock had already been devastated over the course of 2019. The company was having a rough time even before Butler's death. But it seemed like they'd just gotten their groove back uh, in the fourth quarter before we got the sad news of his passing. Since then, though, it quickly fell out of favor. It's now down from 65 at the end of November to 54 today. That's off 17% during a period where the S&P up 7%. So when UP asked me about Ollie's, I was reluctant to recommend it because I was worried about a leadership vacuum, thought maybe something else was wrong, and you couldn't just cuff it and say, hey, looks good. But after taking a fresh look at the fundamentals, I'm ready to give Ollie's my blessing for the first time in ages. First, though, you need to understand what went wrong last year. In March, Ollie surged to new highs after the company reported a fantastic quarter. Stock climbing to 103 at its peak. As an off-price chain, Ollies can't really be beaten by online competitors, not even by Amazon. Why? Because they already offer the best, lowest prices. Remember how this model works. They buy excess inventory from distressed retailers for next to nothing. They needed to get the, re- re- the inventory out. And then they sell it to you at a nice markup that's still much cheaper than you can find anywhere else. They also had a terrific regional to national growth story. We like those. When it works, say, in Florida and Pennsylvania, it could work across the country, allowing them to put up a lot more stores than most companies. So, what was the miss? Well, let's fast forward to June. Ollie's reports are most, uh, mostly better than expected quarter, with one glaring flaw not so hot same store sales. <sighs> Up just 0.8 when Wall Street was looking for 1.2. Not the end of the world, but the stock had just run a lot. And here's where, that's when it started to really slide for good, sinking to the high 70s by the time the next quarter rolled around in August. Now, clearly the sellers knew what they were doing because those August numbers were genuinely bad. A top and bottom line miss coupled with same-store sales that were down 1.7%. The problem was straightforward. And it's haste to put up new stores. We like regional, and national, but we don't like fast. And it's haste to put up new stores. Always hurt its existing ones. Worst of all, management cut their full year forecast, kiss of death. Right? One bright spot. Mark Butler explained that these were short term problems. They worked through them, but the market didn't believe them, and the stock lost twenty seven point five percent in a single day. Ollie's ultimately bottomed it for around fifty-five dollars in October. Then it started inching up again. It was back up to sixty-five by the end of November. Then we got the tragic news of Mark Butler's death over Thanksgiving. And the stock immediately sells off. He was a great CEO. Losing him really shook Wall Street's confidence, which was only a little bit rattled by that forecast cut. When Ollie's reported a few days later, they delivered a strong quarter. So it seemed like that their problems were under control. Uh, While the stock jumped 15% in response, sharers used to uh, use that rally to start ringing the register. They wanted out that bad. Without bother, they didn't want to keep betting on this turnaround. I didn't want to either. And that's why I always have spent the last two months sinking steadily lower. There's no need to overthink this move. Mark Butler uh, wasn't just the founder and CEO. He was the company's public face and its greatest shooter. I can tell you that losing him caused people to lose confidence because that, that's what, what it did to me. We knew Mark Butler, but we didn't really know much about Ollie's Bench, the other people who worked there. Without his leadership, it felt too risky to stick your neck out on a situation that doesn't have much visibility. Plus, this market's been so hot that there's, it's particularly for for this uh, cheap retail, you know, the ones that are, off, that are off price, that there was no need to stick your neck out. I mean, it's not like we had a shortage of winners in this huge cohort that everyone's fallen in love with. Now, though, the averages have run up dramatically, giving us a new appetite for bargains, of which we know that there are few and far between. And so, Ollie's might be one of those bargains. After spending the last couple of months getting hammered, the stock now sells for 22 times next year's earnings estimates. That represents a slight premium to the S&P 500. But uh, at its highs last year, Ollies was selling for 45 times the earnings projections. So uh, relative to where it was, it's definitely a bargain. This is the cheapest this stock has been in years, aside from earlier this week when it briefly dipped below 50. In a market that keeps flirting with record highs, Ollies has been left behind. If management can keep turning things around, if they can live up to Mark Butler's legacy, then the upside could be enormous. So can they? All right, let's talk about that bench. After doing some homework, I feel a lot more comfortable with Butler's successor, John Swigert. He's the new president and CEO. Swigert's an old hand who's worked in the discount retail industry for 27 years. In 2004, Ollie's hired him to be their chief financial officer. Then in 2018, he got promoted to being chief operating officer. In other words, he was an integral part of the team when the company was growing like a weed, and the stock soared into the stratosphere. Still, I had to be sure about this guy, so I asked the best retail analyst in the business, Matthew Boss at J.P. Morgan. He told me Zweigertz was Mark Butler's right-hand man for 16 years, and he was clearly Butler's intended successor. I found that encouraging. How about the rest of the bench? Well, take a look at this slide from the company's last deck a little over a year ago. Ollie's management team is packed with experienced retail veterans. If, like me, you were a believer in Butler's leadership, you should trust the team that he spent decades putting together. Take those management warriors off the table, and you're left with a pretty good story. Ollie still has a terrific in-store experience that never changed. Incredible deals you can't find anywhere else. It still has that regional and national story I like so much. The company has 349 locations across 25 states. They believe they can grow to 950 locations without a problem, set 170% increase. Sure, they ran into a serious speed bump last summer when they expanded too quickly, but it seems like management learned that from that mistake, and they've now got it under control. Most importantly, off prices is in the sweet spot here. That's why I like TGX and raw stores, and I like Burlington, and it's why I like Ollie's. Think about what we heard from Columbia Sportswear earlier this week. Because of the trade war, retailers placed huge orders last summer in order to get ahead of the tariffs. Then we got phase one trade agreement with China and the, uh, and the coronavirus outbreak put the kibosh on tourism. Well, tourism-driven shopping and took it too. Now many stores have an inventory glut, meaning they'll have to sell the stuff to companies like Ollie's for pennies on the dollar. Your win. Finally, after spending much of the last year in the wilderness, Ollie's is starting to pick up institutional support from both big investors and the analyst community. When the stock got slammed on Tuesday, Piper Sandler published a note recommending the stock with an $83 price target. Even better, JP Morgan's boss, again, he's the undisputed ax in retail, just pounding the table on Ollie's because there's a lot to like about the business. And at these levels, the risk reward is just too enticing to ignore. By the way, the company's presenting at Boss's Retail Roundup Conference this spring. I bet that will be a positive catalyst. The bottom line, if you want to go bargain hunting in this market, I urge you to look no further than Ollie's Bargain Outlet Holdings. Yes, I was worried after the company lost its visionary leader at the beginning of December and knowing him personally, I just couldn't imagine the company without him. Now that I've done my homework, though, I think his successor is up for the challenge and the stock has become ridiculously cheap here and deserves to be bought. Let's go to Paul in Kansas. Paul. Hi, Jim. Good to hear from you. Hey, um, I had a question about Walmart stock. I've
0: noticed since mid-December or so, it's been trending downwards, uh, about like 9 to $10 a share, roughly. And I didn't know what you thought if it was going to keep trending down for 2020. That was just a t- temporary blip.
2: You know, the other day, uh, one of these research firms that does channel check, said that Walmart is going to miss the quarter. That would surprise me, but it has put a a chill on the stock, so I have to pick other retailers because I am concerned that maybe there's something I don't know and don't understand about why things aren't great at Walmart. I think they probably are, but I don't have that level of conviction I'd like to have. Let's go to Kathy in Indiana, please. Kathy.
1: Hey, Kramer. Thanks for helping three generations of my family make good investment decisions. Wow.
2: I love that. Three generations. Three, that's right. Someone must be very young, too.
1: Well, my kids and my parents and us. Oh, fantastic.
2: Thank you. It's great.
1: Yes. I'd like to discuss coal, Kramer. Uh, I'm a club member who owned coal and sold coal, and it still irks me. I'm a mom and know many moms who love Kohl's. We can get everything at Kohl's. We love the coupons, the Kohl's cash. Kohl's has the name brands our kids love. And the recent affiliation of Fanatics and Amazon should have made this stock a winner for everyone. With earnings coming up, do you see any reason or opportunity to get back in? And well, do you think an Amazon acquisition of Kohl's is a possibility? Well, I don't think
2: Amazon wants to buy, or buy Kohl's. But yeah, uh, Kathy, because they're already getting the best of Kohl's without having to pay any money when you can return stuff there. It's a great deal for Amazon. Turned out to be not that good a deal for Kohl's. Why did I turn on Kohl's and you're a member of the plus.com club? Because they missed what they said they were going to do multiple times. And in the end, I just got fed up. You can miss one time, two times, but you can't just... You can't just whiff multiple times. And that's what they do. Now, if you're looking for a bargain, look no further than Ollie's bargain outlet. I'm not regarding the stock as being very cheap right here. I think it's a What's Much more have money at, including my exclusive with Ring Central. How can I help you? And that's how I think they can make you money. I'm talking with the CEO of this amazing story. Then good news, if the dog <laughs> ate your homework, I did it for you. And I think you can make you some money. And all your calls rapid-fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. As I said at the top of the show, when this market falls in love with growth stocks, it falls hard. And right now, Wall Street is once again totally enamored with the cloud because this industry is a consistent, fast-grower in a global economy it's being slowed by the coronavirus. So look at Ring Central, the cloud-based communications and collaboration platform that's taking share all over the enterprise. We've had them on before. This stock's been terrific performer for a long time. But in recent months, the move's become downright explosive, as the company keeps rolling out new partnerships with major players in the telephone space, like Avaya and ATT. And it just won't quit. On Monday night, Ring Central reported a spectacular beat and raise quarter that sent the stock screaming up nearly 7% on Tuesday, before it tacked on another 3.6% yesterday, and then another 3.3% today. It's now up 18% over the past week, 72% over the past six months. I don't know if this kind of momentum can be sustained because it is highly unusual. But this stock captures everything that's working right now. So why don't we take a closer look with Vlad Schmunis. Vlad is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Ring Central. Get a better read on the amazing quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Schmunis, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Jim, thank you for having me. Great to be here again.
2: All right, Vlad, you hit the billion dollar club. I don't think people realize how incredibly extraordinary it is for a company to do a billion dollars in sales. So I'm going to give you the floor for a moment and say, how the heck did you get there that fast?
4: Great market. Great market. Uh, Good product. Maybe very good product. Fantastic market. Very, very early uh, in, uh, in penetrating that market. We have 2 million seats, uh, and that's billion dollars of uh, run rate revenues. Market opportunity, four to 500 million seats. Avaya itself is responsible for a 100 million seats of those. So very early in the game, but I have to say, it feels extremely good to have this billion dollar run rate for a pure play uh, SaaS software as a service company.
2: Okay, you mentioned Avaya. I need you to tell our viewers how you got Avaya, what it means, and how it jump-started growth to a level that's extraordinary.
4: Well, we think it's an industry-defining uh, relationship. Avaya is uh, a, a top conventional on-prem business communications uh, solutions provider. So they've uh, they trace their roots back to the original at and And as I mentioned, uh, they are uh, currently responsible for approximately 100 million seats. That's uh, about 20-25% of the world's installed base. Our arrangement with Avaya uh, is is unique. Uh, So basically, we will be their um, exclusive unified communications as a service provider for their small and medium market, but uh... medium is pretty large for Avaya. it's uh, up to several thousand five thousand seats or so okay, so, so we v- have uh... really good hopes here
2: okay so Vlad, a lot of people don't know the name uh... brinker but they do know chili's uh... and uh... this is a great restaurant chain that gets a lot of phone calls uh... when they brought ring central and they said on your website that they saved a great deal of money and they did much better for customers what did Ring Central do for them that it got those two salient points going?
4: Right. So Brinker is a uh, really important customer, uh, well known brand. And um, look, what we did for them is we lit up uh, approximately 900 locations for them, um, countrywide. Uh, that's uh, almost 6,000 users. And um the value that we bring is that everything is now tied together. So when you call and place an order by phone, and approximately 60% of their orders come by phone, everything is centralized, and now their analytics teams can analyze the traffic, they can uh, see who is calling when at what time, and they can optimize uh, the way that they staff those locations. So it results in a much better customer experience, it results in a uh, much more profitable uh, business for, for Brinker. So it's a valued customer, but we do well with them as well.
2: Now, we know and have had uh, a Zoom video on a couple, of, actually many times, and uh, so I don't want Ring Central to be slighted. It's not just voice. You've also teamed up with them for a powerful combination with video, right?
4: That's correct. So promise of Ring Central is uh, any device, any mode, any location. And uh, our modes include voice, they include video, they include messaging. Just recently we've announced a uh, uh, a, a deal uh, with uh, Richemont. Uh, some people may know their Mont Blanc uh, brand um, of luxury pens. And uh, there uh, the mode of communications is uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter and Messenger. So again, any device, any mode, any communication, uh, um, any location, we don't discriminate. We just follow the customer and we enable them to communicate in the most, uh, in the manner that they find most beneficial for their business. Now, that is a differentiated position uh, of Ring Central.
2: If you're interested in this company, everyone, you've got to go to the website because Ring Central is not just for giant companies. You've got some smaller companies. You have 10, 12 people companies that have been able to expand their business because of Ring Central. I read about a company that makes t shirts, 24 hour t shirts. They used you. Use small and medium sized business embraces Ring Central too.
4: That's absolutely correct. Uh, we have a very wide base, uh, we're very proud of that. We have over 400,000 businesses on our platform. That's growing rapidly. And uh, I'm really thank- thankful for you to mention this, Jim, uh, because uh, small business is a backbone uh, of uh, our economy, many economies, and the fact that we can scale and make uh, a small business be as productive and as empowered as uh, a very large business, I think that speaks uh, as a testament to the power of our platform. And one uh, last one. So last we don't one. want to lose that following. Uh-
2: It's not just domestic. You have a partnership with Atos, A-T-O-S. That's a giant one, French tech company. Obviously, international is going to be the next big focus.
4: That's absolutely correct. We've announced Atos. That's a $13 billion revenue company. It's one of the top, world's top SI systems integrators. It's the first SI relationship for us could not be more excited about it. It uh, gets us into yet larger enterprises, it gets us uh, more global, uh, certainly much more uh, into, uh, into Europe, which is uh, what their base is. And uh, again, it's just yet another opportunity for us to participate in digital transformation at a global scale, for frankly, businesses of all sizes.
2: Well, Vlad, I want to thank you. You introduced us to your company much uh, a long time ago, where people ended up making a lot of money, and I think they're going to continue to do so. Great to see you, sir. Great to have everyone make money.
4: Thank you for having me, and glad people are making money with us.
2: Excellent. That's Vlad Spunis. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Ring Central. Guys, it's, I know it sounds complicated. It's not. If you go to the website, you'll see dozens of clients and how they use the product. That's the way I learned it. We have money back after the break. It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate that. It's over the lightning round. I'm going to start with Joe in Florida. Joe.
1: Mr. Jimmy Chill. Thank you. It's a pleasure. The I'd like man. to know what you think about Align Technologies, nope.
2: ALGN. All right. Now, I understand that I've gotten this one wrong before. I have said that known that, but I still think there is too much competition in the aligned technology business, which we know is the straightening. Let's go to Garrett in Nebraska. Garrett. Yeah. Hi, Jim. This, uh, um, first-time caller. I just wanted to uh, call and ask specifically about LCI Industries. LCI. Uh, I. You know, this is RV related. I have felt that the RV business has gotten too cyclical, so I want to stay away, uh, especially after this next run. Let's go to Andrew in Alabama. Andrew. Hi Jim, how are you today? I am good. How about you, Andrew? Good. I wanted your opinion on one main financial OMF. I've always felt this is a financial services company where I can't really understand what they have inside their business. It just had a very big run because interest rates dropped. I'm going to say stay away. Let's go to Heath in Wisconsin. Heath. Booyah, Jimmy, chill. Yo are yo. You? <laughs> hey, on December uh, 10th, you interviewed David
1: Cody and Rob Johnson. Uh, from Vertis. What do you think about him?
2: BRT. I want to bank with Dave Cody, the man who turned Honeywell into a powerhouse from a disaster, which means I want to uh-huh. hey, bye, buy Bert Ken in California, Ken. Yes? Ken. Um, yes, it's Jimmy Chilken. You're up. Okay. Um, While back you talked about Viva Systems. I went out and bought it at 29.5. Do you feel that now it is a buy, sell, or hold? Well, I got to tell you, software as a something is going higher. S A A S. You know, I think the world of this company. Where's Peter Bitt? Why hasn't he been on lately? We got to book him. He is doing incredibly well. Remember, he is of the Salesforce lineage. It's kind of like a coaching tree with Mark Benioff. And Gassner's doing a terrific job. Let's go to Wayne in Texas. Wayne. Hey, Jim. I've got a question, sir. Sure. I sold my company about three years ago and doing real well. I've got two mutual funds that have averaged about 20% return over the last three years. Nice. And I keep about 10% of my funds in dividend-paying stocks that I think are undervalued. I'd rather go this way than go in government bonds because I think the downside is, is minimal. Right now, I've got about 5% of my portfolio in AT&T. You said good stuff about them yesterday. I'm totally. glad you did. Totally there. I'm looking, I'm looking at ExxonMobil. All right. ExxonMobil is a, obviously a fossil fuel company. Uh, I think these are sells as they rally, and they can rally because they're so heavily shorted negative. But I cannot condone buying ExxonMobil. Fossil fuels are a thing of the past, not the future. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: While the market took a breather today, we know that many stocks, especially the highest growth stocks, have been on a real tear. We've seen all sorts of stocks surge to new highs, especially tech stocks, with the Nasdaq up more than 8% for the year already. That includes a host of names that we don't really know too well. So lately we get a lot of calls. This would be typical given the fact that the market is so hot, at least in this segment, about companies that just aren't on my radar. Maybe they've moved up too quickly, went from small cap to medium, uh, even as their stocks are now up a lot. In other words, we've got a Ton of homework to catch up on, because whenever I get a question I can't answer, I always do the research, I circle back to it at a later date. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've gotten much more on the case about homework, because you asked me about so many good ones, and this is the most interactive show on television, which brings me to Cartolytics, and that's CDLX, a stock that Jeff in California asked me about back on January 13th. Now, I told him I needed to do some digging. I didn't know Cartolytics. I wasn't going to cuff it and say, oh, Cartolytics, you have playing cards. I mean, I'm not going to be stupid. Cartolytics is a financial and advertising technology play that came public in 2018. And I love this kind of thing because in recent months, it has become a phenomenal performer, but it all wasn't always. When Jeff asked me about this one, it was already up big, but I didn't know enough to figure out whether that move was legitimate or not. Since then, it's tacked on another eight bucks climbing from 85 to 93. So clearly this one's for real. Now, the big question is whether or not Cartolytics can keep climbing. On the one hand, I think it's got an intriguing story. On the other hand, the valuation definitely makes me nervous at these levels. So let me tell you how I feel about this and why. First, you need to know what these guys do. Cartolytics is an ad tech firm, advertising technology firm, that takes your purchasing data and uses it to make marketing more relevant and measurable. They partner with banks to run their rewards programs, which gives them a treasure trove of data on where people are spending their money. So CardoLinux turns around and helps advertisers identify and influence likely consumers at scale. It also lets them measure the actual impact of their marketing campaigns. Pretty good business. This is a very clever business model. They help banks entice customers via rewards programs. Then they use the insights from that data to help advertisers. FinTech and AdTech. And those are two great tastes that taste great together. It's kind of like that Reese's Peanut Butter Cup slogan that my mom loves. She loved that. Now, it's certainly how the stock market sees it. Although it took a while for Wall Street to get interested. Now, this is what kind of stock I'm really looking for. And I want to really thank Jeff for this. See, this thing came public roughly two years ago at the price of $13 per share. By the end of 2018, it was trading at $10 and change. That's when you needed to pull the trigger. Last year, it caught fire. The stock finished 2019 at $62. That's up 480% year-over-year. And in the last six months, that move's gotten even more intense. Stock surging to 93 as of today. That's an almost 50% move in a month and a half. Jeff in California, highest compliment. You got horse sense. What's driving the move? Okay, near the end of 2018, Cartolytics partnered with Chase Bank. The whole business model here really benefits from scale. The more loyalty program customers they're managing for the banks, the better they'll be at helping advertisers target their message. Sure enough, the company started reporting some truly staggering numbers when they got that Chase deal. It was a massive acceleration in their business. Let me put it this way. In 2017 and 2018, Cartolytics had 15.5% revenue growth. All right, nothing special. By the second quarter of last year, that number jumped to 37%. By the third quarter, the most recent we have, get this, 63% revenue growth. And that's why the stock broke out, surging from $40 to $60 when it reported those numbers in November. Not only did they give you magnificent, accelerating revenue growth, the company also posted a surprise profit. <laughs> Billings were up more than 70%. In short, the new strategy of embracing big financial institutions is working. Oh, and at roughly the same time, get this, they launched with their, with their next partner, Wells Fargo. No wonder the the has been such a juggernaut? Chase and Wells Fargo, those are just gigantic customers. Talk about at scale, it keeps climbing. Last month, Cartolytics glided for much higher than expected revenue, saying incredibly bullish things about the fourth quarter, which set the stock up another 25%, this time in a single session. Like I told you before, this thing's a great story. I'm very excited about the Cartalytics, the company. Ah, but there's a catch. What about Cartolytics the stock? Here's the rub. As fabulous as the financials are, the stock's valuation, I think, has gotten way out of control, even versus the really good business they have. Of course, the analysts have been downgrading the single valuation since it was trading in the 30s. They didn't see the massive revenue acceleration or the surprise profit coming. So they were dead wrong. But man, up here. Listen to this. Cartolytics sells for 107 times next year's earnings estimates. That's astronomical. The earnings are still small. So maybe we should look at revenue instead. Well, it sells nearly seven times next year's sales. It's still a lot. Now, if Cardolytics can sign up another big bank as a partner, then the stock can keep powering higher because it will turn out to be a lot cheaper than it looks, which is what people are betting on buying the stock right here. But if the market turns against growth, this thing's going to get hammered. At the end of the day, this is a stock that's basically doubled over the last few months. I feel like if you buy it right here, you're chasing it. And I hate to chase So for now, I recommend sitting on the sidelines. you got to take a pass. You can't just go in and start taking a stock that's up this month. Look, you can do it, but not with me. That said, great business means at some level the stock is absolutely worth buying. Bottom line, for now, I'd avoid this one even though its business is great. The stock's too high. If Cartalytics, the stock, gets slammed as part of a market-wide rotation out of hyper-growth stocks, then you do have my blessing to back up the truck at the price of $70. Hey, That actually happens. You know, not that long ago, when growth fell out of favor, the stock of Shopify, we had them on yesterday, it lost a quick 100 points without anything negative happening. In fact, things got better in Shopify. And I think that same thing could happen with Cartolytics. And at $70, it would be selling for just five times sales, which is a steal, given its phenomenal growth rate. Otherwise, though, it's no sin. you got to say you missed it and move on. But also, I have to thank Jeff for one hell of an idea. Stick with Raymer. Things are in flux. Dynamic, fluid. So stay right there because you don't want to miss the CNBC special report on the coronavirus outbreak. It's hosted by my friend Contessa Brewers coming up next. NVIDIA with just a monster quarter and huge guide up. That's the way we want them. That stock's going to go higher tomorrow morning. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The CNBC special report begins now. This
1: podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,